welcome to the Privacy Whisperer podcast. Today we have Gal Ringel. He is the co-founder and CEO of Mind. I'd like to start inviting Gal to introduce Mind. Tell a little bit about what, what is it about. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm very excited to be here. So my name is Gal Ringel. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Mind. A little bit about myself. I've been, I've been dealing with cybersecurity and privacy engineering for almost 12 years, um, protecting data for many different angles. Then I became a venture capital investor, leading investments for Nielsen and Verizon Ventures in the US. So I um, invested in dozens of uh, Israeli startups and grown them to you know, being a really big companies. And uh, today at Mine, we bridge the gap between individuals and companies around data privacy and compliance. Um, companies can use our privacy ops platform to essentially automate and orchestrate any daily and repetitive and time-consuming privacy-related activities such as data mapping, ROPA, DPIA, DSR handling. And individuals can use our smart data assistant to discover their personal data online, learn about their online exposure, and if they wish to ask different companies to remove their personal data to avoid any kind of digital risks. And I think you have a very interesting story of how mine began and and how you met your co-founders. In this podcast, I, we are investigating privacy tech. So what are these companies about? What are, are their specific characteristics? What are the challenges? And I think foundation stories are interesting for us to get a, a broader picture. So I, I think this, it's a nice story to share with the audience. Yeah, I'd love to share the story because I think it's uh, very special, but you know, I'm biased, so I let, I let you judge. So uh, we are three co-founders that are friends for many years. Uh, Gal Golan, our chief technology officer, and I served, to, served together in the Israel Intelligence Forces as cyber secu security engineers uh, for many years, both of us ex-officers, and we already know each other for 16 years. And we always wanted to do something together, but, you know, life took each one of us to different uh, directions until mine. And Kobe, our chief product officer, and I, both of us work together as venture capital investors in the Israeli venture capital ecosystems, uh, and we know each other for 10 years. And the three of us, when we got together, we really wanted to do something new and unique around personal data. So the idea to start mine was actually born after both me and Gal Golan, our CTO, were subject to identity theft uh, twice. And so after it happened, we thought that it's crazy that we can't really stop for a minute and ask ourselves, where is our data, right? And which companies have collected our data? Because every day we use the internet. We sign up to new services, we purchase products, we travel. And through these online experiences, we have to click, I agree all the time, right? And we have to give our data to companies, which is okay because the internet is an amazing place. But the, the, the downside is that one, we can't really know where is our data. And second, many of the companies that we gave our data in the past were due to a one-time one off interaction, meaning they still keep our data for many years and we don't get any, any value from it. And I think that uh, we really wanted to solve that, so to really find the data about us. And, and I think the GDPR was the main kicker for our company. So back in uh, May 2018, um, when the GDPR emerged, we knew that it's going to change the internet, uh, both the companies and the individuals. And we wanted to create um, a piece of technology that would, you know, make it accessible 
for individuals at scale. And uh, by the way, today I'm very proud to say that we saved more than half million people worldwide from a data breach or any other digital threats. So you both started in cybersecurity, right? And you transitioned. These fields, they have different priorities, right? Even the language is, is different, the principles. So how was this transition? Was it natural for you? Yeah, this is a great question. And I think that I just came back from a conference in London, uh, PriveSec, um, and uh, they talked on, on stage about the intersection between privacy and security. And, you know, many people think that uh, privacy is part of security or the other way around. It's like there is a fine line, right, uh, between uh, these two areas. I think that the, the, the key point is data. And I think that both privacy and security is all around data, right? How data is being secured or how data is being collected and shared, right? And, and for us, we really understood data from all kinds of different angles. And so I would say that the transition from security to privacy was very easy for us because uh, we knew how to protect data, but we were really uh, intrigued and excited about how can we also, you know, find it and make sure that it's being processed and collected on the right way. So you're much more familiar than I with cybersecurity. So I'm always curious to see. I see some privacy professionals also, they, they act in both fields. So it's interesting to see that there's your personal background. And in mine has something specific that you, you guys started as B2C and were slowly moving into B2B. So how was, in, in, in a more, uh, let's say, entrepreneurial point of view, was it easy, this transition? Yeah. And, and where did you decide, when did you decide, how, how was this process from B2C to B2B? Yeah, yeah this is also an interesting uh, story. Uh, so not, m not many people know, but the vision from day one was always to serve both individuals and companies around data privacy rights and compliance need. Uh, we always knew that we want to go big, you know, as entrepreneurs, you always need to uh, have a big vision and uh, a clear path on how to build a big company, right? Uh, especially when you go and uh, try to raise money from investors, you need to draw a very good, uh, compelling story why, why they should really uh, invest in your company. Uh, so the B2C and the B2B was always there, but we wanted to really start from the consumer side because of my previous point of, you know, being subject to identity theft twice in my life. And the main idea there was to drive a significant social impact by making privacy regulations accessible to as many individuals as we can. We knew that like any other uh, new regulation on the individual side, no one would really use it because it's very hard, it's very complex. So we wanted to take that amazing uh, regulation and somehow communicate that in a very easy to use way to the mainstream audience. Um, and once we did that, we, uh, we really knew how individuals want to interact with privacy rights, what data is important to them, how do they want to interact with their data. And that was the key turning point two years ago to penetrate the B2B market and complete our vision. And I think that after serving 4 million individuals so far, this is our user base, that really mm -hmm. allows us, allowed us to build a very good B2B product for companies because we really made it consumer centric. And so the evolution to B2B was very natural to us because um, coming from the consumer perspective gave us a huge advantage over all the competitors 
because we really understand how to do data mapping and DSR handling and ROPA Article 30 and DPIA to the best way possible because we really connected both sides around these privacy regulations. So for us, the evolution was very uh, natural and that was the main you know, the main vision from day one. Uh, specifically about privacy tech. As an entrepreneur, growth hacking, how to expand, and some of those methods are not very privacy friendly. Do you see the challenges as a privacy tech that maybe you would not have as a MarTech or other fields? Definitely. Uh, let's start with two general uh, challenges. So I think that uh, we started the company four years ago and we had COVID. <laughs> um, during like, you know, a big, a big chunk of it. And last year, all the market uh, downturns, right? So I would say that we are going through two big events, which impact globally, right? So this is not easy, um, just these uh, two things, but in general, as a privacy startup, I, th I think the main challenge is the maturity of the privacy market. That was, that is the, the number one thing that I would say. And by, by, by maturity, I mean, this market is still young. I would say, or I would count only five years old, ever since mid 2018, um, when the GDPR was legislated for the first time, I think that was, you know, the key turning point worldwide to really uh, apply privacy technologies. And I think the main challenge around that is still educating companies, right? That privacy is important and why they should, you know, invest in great technologies and processes that could make their life easier. Uh, but not only that, other than, uh, you know, other than uh, the uh, education, the, the second challenge is urgency about buying products like what we're selling. And let me give you one of the most popular examples. Uh, many companies still prefer when they do a data mapping exercise to go the old fashioned way and do a big spreadsheet um, and do it the manual way. And I think that this is one of the key examples where data mapping to some degree, finding the systems, finding the data can really, autom be, can really be automated. And I think that companies that really understand that and invest in implementing technologies that could really help automating that part can really be uh, certain that that would enable them to find all the data and to really build a great privacy program because um, that could enable them to focus on the important things. Uh, but I think that in general, other than the uh, education and the urgency, I think that I see privacy becoming the center stage. And you know, many analysts predict that uh, this year, 2023, would be the year for data privacy. So. Although these challenges of operating in a very, you know, young market, I'm, I'm very excited. You mentioned a little bit about what I'm going to ask. So the GDPR brought waves of changes in the privacy field. And I, I'm curious to know, so did you notice changes in the behavior of your clients, both the B2C and B2B? So in the B2B, so did you see companies that maybe they were relaxed with privacy and not didn't see many, a lot of urgency, and now they're coming after you and say, I, I need more be more proactive. So let, let's start with the, with the, with the companies, your, your B2B aspect. Did, did you notice that behavior change in, in the, in the market? Yeah, definitely. On the, on the company side, I think that the, the easy proof is, you know, since GDPR was legislated, 
a lot of other countries in geolocation were legislating um, similar privacy regulation, right? So CCPA in California, now the CPRA, it's like CCPA uh, version two, but then Australia, Canada, India, soon to approve uh, Brazil, Argentina, it happened everywhere, right? And uh, I think that um, that enable and, you know, um, you know uh, push companies to apply good or great privacy processes. And I think that the GDPR clearly paved the way to level the playing field in terms of personal data online. And another example on the company side, when the GDPR emerged, I remember that uh, if you were a US citizen applying to, you know, um, interacting with your data from US companies in the US, they were not really, you know, uh, honoring uh, this request because there is no, th there was no law that would, you know, um, ask them to do that. But, but you know, that was changed because I think that over the years, many companies understood that privacy is more than a compliance burden, right? They understood that if they honor privacy regulations, even if they don't have to, that would really um, enable them to gain more trust and earn more customer loyalty. So this is on the company side. On the individual side, unfortunately, data breaches, you know, keep skyrocketing and many individuals keep getting hurt because anytime there is a data breach, data gets stolen, leaked out and used against individuals in the forms of identity theft, reputation damage, financial loss. And I think that these data breaches are, you know, pushing individuals to be more aware about their personal data and they are looking for solutions. They are looking for solutions that can really help them understand where is their data, to learn about the risk that is associated with that and to really do something about it. If you think about people's behavior, so besides the, the breaches, not everyone was uh, a victim of a data breach. So what else would you, would you think like as factors to, for this changing the uh, consumer behavior? If I leave the data breaches aside, I think that privacy scandal. So the whole Cambridge Analytica and Facebook uh, event, which, we, which was, you know, um, targeting both the, the US elections, right? But also the UK Brexit. So many people heard for the first time that, you know, um, privacy scandals can be used to change their minds or to do social engineering, right? And, and then Netflix came out with two movies. Uh, one would, uh, was the great uh, hack, right? About that uh, exact uh, event and then Social Dilemma. And you know, the Social Dilemma movie, people were surprised that Facebook and Google can do these things. Now, you know, you and I and, you know, other peers are working in that industry for many years and we were not surprised by that, right? But if you think about the mainstream audience, they were highly surprised. Oh my God, yeah, Google and Facebook can really target me, can really, you know, you know, influence the way I think. Yeah, I mean, this is how it, you know, happens for, for many years. So I think that you know, um, privacy scandals and even Netflix that took these challenges and, you know, increased the awareness in, in large scale also helped. I think that another good example is COVID-19 and all the tracking that different governments have, you know, applied. Even here in Israel, we were the first uh, guinea pigs, right, uh, worldwide. It was a big sandbox for uh, vaccinations. And I think that... Um, the deal that the Israeli government and 
this is uh, like uh, was in the news, the deal that the Israeli government have, have closed with Pfizer for getting these vaccinations very early on was to share data. Now, as individual, I didn't give my consent to share my data, although between, between you and me, personally, I would give my data for, you know, the sake of science, because I think that it can really help, but no one asked me if I, if I grant my consent. So I think COVID-19 and all the tracking about, you know, people that are uh, positive and things like that also increased uh, the awareness. And lastly, the most popular example is AI, you know, chat GPT uh, most recently, but also com uh, computer vision algorithms. They didn't take any privacy by design or even privacy thinking and um, these algorithms within a, uh, AI also go to the mainstream audience in all kinds of different weird situations. So I think it's a mix of a lot of things that pushes privacy to the main stage, to the mainstream audience, I would say, both in the individuals, but also on the company's side. I agree with your two first examples. With AI, I'm still not sure. I think people are so excited about it and they think it's they 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 think it's a solution for everything not they but many people i see every if i open any social network i see threads and posts about how to make x more efficient with chat gpt i i write a lot about it at the privacy whisperer i i think you're optimistic and i, I like your view that privacy the, the privacy perspective behind it is is becoming more the, the center of the stage I, i'm more pessimistic i think we are so far and and because there are so there are billions involved and when there are billions involved people want profit people want users mass and you know these are opposing forces trying to get the, to the center of the stage so if, if, when it's difficult to fight when there there are billions invested into making it mainstream so, I'm, but, yeah. I'm entrepreneur. I have to be optimistic, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. I'm curious about your perspective. So a more general perspective about privacy. So we know today, and I've spoken with the privacy councils and privacy experts around the world, and the mindset, there are so many new legislations coming. So we see Europe, there is Data Act, Data Governance Act, AI Act, DMA, DSA. And we, as privacy experts, it's difficult to keep up with everything coming in the U.S., other types of challenges. So every state now wants to have a privacy presence with different peculiarities. So what's going to happen? So are we going to have different cookie benefits for, for every time? The amount of new legislation is, is, is difficult to keep up. And, and we are still understanding uh, how to make the experience positive, positive and possible with all those uh, new challenges coming. And, and what, what some privacy people say nowadays is that you cannot tell your client as a, as a lawyer you can, or, or someone dealing with the privacy compliance in a company, you cannot promise 100%. You have to say, listen, this is acceptable level. So I wanted to hear from you, what do you see as good privacy practices? Or what, would be, what should be expected at this point with, with those challenges? And what, in your view, what are good privacy practices? I totally agree with you that it cannot be 100%. Um, also, if anyone tells you, hey, we're GDPR compliant, it's probably lying because, you know, it's almost impossible to be 100%, um, especially for big organizations that there are so many moving parts. And, you know, you can uh, have the, the most uh, accurate uh, data classification, but then you go to sleep and the next day an employee within the company can, you know, use 
a different tool and that tool will start to collect the new data. So I agree, it cannot be 100%, but it can get very close to that. I cannot say if it's, you know, 90 or 95%, but I agree that, you know, companies should do their best effort. And to your question, I think that after, you know, working with uh, hundreds of legal teams and uh, building a lot of privacy program with my bare hands, um, both in the US and in Europe, I think that the main key for a good privacy program is data mapping. And I'll try to explain why. I think that understanding, so when I think about data mapping, it's usually divided into two parts. The first part is understanding what systems we are using within the company. A system can be a database or any SaaS application like your HR system, your CRM, your product analytics, email marketing, whatever. So finding all the systems. I always like to give um, the analogy of imagine that you have a big uh, apartment or a big house and you need to find all the rooms in the house, right? This is the number one step. And then the second step would start opening each room and see what we keep inside. So that would be a data classification. So start classifying what personal data we keep in each one of these systems. And the reason why I think that these two parts, these two parts that, you know, builds a good data mapping program is the key for any robust privacy program is because you cannot really handle DSRs in a good way if you don't know where the data lives, right? You cannot build a good ROPA if you don't know what systems and personal data you keep within the company, you can you you cannot uh, you you can't also write a good privacy policy if you don't know what data you collect, uh, you know, and that goes on and on to you know uh, ROPA, DPIA, vendor risk assessment, any even privacy training, right? How can you train your engineers to think about uh, privacy by uh, to think about privacy by design? if they don't know about the systems that they are interacting with. So I think for me, and after you know hearing that from a lot of uh, different legal teams, I think data mapping is the number one pillar or the key component for a great privacy program. So again, to understand what systems you're using within the company and what personal data, but to do it in a continuous way. So going back to my spreadsheet example, if you do a spreadsheet and data mapping exercise with a spreadsheet, no matter how much you invest in it, and it can be really, you know, comprehensive, you go to sleep and the next morning someone can use a new system and no one would, you know, ever bother to uh, go to that spreadsheet and update that. So it's, a, it's very good to a single point in time. So I think that having a continuous data mapping the word continuous is very important because in today's dynamic environment, it has to be almost updated in real time. And um, yeah, I think again, continuous data mapping, this is like the key pillar for any, any great privacy program. An interesting aspect of the data mapping is the self-awareness element, right? When you map, you become aware. If you think of, if we compare with a person, it's like a person going to therapy and let's see what the problems are. So you put it also, 
And also for a corporate culture aspect is interesting because when you have to do data mapping, you must get everyone involved. You need to have a process and you need to get all departments involved. I, li I like your approach. And if we think about the future, let's see five years from now, where do you see the industry moving? So what, what in terms of privacy, privacy expectations or the behavior of companies or whatever perspective you want to bring, how do you see the privacy industry in five years? So again, I'm going to be optimistic because uh, this is my number one um, um, my number one uh, priority as an entrepreneur. I have to be optimistic; otherwise, you know, startups would would not exist. So I think that in my so coming from the security side and you know knowing how security is usually prioritized high in the organization, many executive teams and boards really understand security rather than you know talking about privacy. So if I think about five years ahead, I think that privacy is about to, you know, mitigate the gap to security, both in terms of uh, budgets. So I think that privacy would get a proper place in the company P&L or in the company budget. And I think that executive and boards members would start to talk about privacy in the executive level. And, you know, that would change the priority within the organization and the urgency that we spoke about earlier to really apply privacy processes and privacy technologies at a very early, at, at, in, in a very early on in uh, the life of the company. And today, as you know, privacy teams are under budgets, right? And understaffed, right? Usually I meet companies, even big companies that have one person, two uh, which is very, very disappointing because I think that, you know, privacy should be prioritized high. So if you ask me five years ahead, I think that privacy is about to, you know, mitigate the gap towards security. And I think that uh, uh, it would uh, be taken appropriately, like with the, with the right resources and budgets within different companies. When you say that, that you're, you're going to reduce the gap, you'll stay more in the sense of the status that, that there'll be like, yes. we see everybody's scared of a, like a security breach. So there is a very high, so you, you'll think that the status will be similar and also the budget, budget wise, you'll see uh, it's getting closer in the sense. Exactly. I mean, in terms of the appreciation of privacy, about the urgency and about the need to apply it very, uh, very early on in the company life cycle. And if you think about as an entrepreneur, how do you see mine in five years? How do you see as also not specifically, of course, whatever you can share, but in the sense of where are tech, privacy tech startups moving to? So how do you see expanding or focus or becoming more global in, in what, what's that, what, where do you see mine in five years? So mine in five years, uh, our vision is being, we call it a data OS, a data operating system, which would touch not just privacy, but also compliance and security, and we draw the line for all the different aspects that companies have to deal with in terms of uh, data, data privacy, data compliance, and data security, and both for individuals and companies, because this is like our unique approach to the market is that we, we connect both sides. This is what works really, really good for us. Um, in terms of the entire industry, other than, you know, budgets and things like that, uh, a new concept that I see emerging is shift left, which is exactly like happened in the security side. So shifting left privacy technologies towards the engineers and towards the code level. And I think that this is a, a very 
um, interesting approach. It's still too early. I think that companies have, you know, other problems to uh, deal with. Uh, but I think that in five, 10 years, I think that engineers would start when they develop algorithms and software. I think that privacy would be built in into everything that they are doing. I agree with you. And I think th this uh, optimism is welcome. And I, I hope it will be like this. And I'm curious of, about your opinion. So we mentioned, we, we briefly mentioned AI. So do you think AI governance, so you think that privacy will embrace AI governance? So do, do you see, do you see convergence in the sense of privacy experts and, and privacy systems or privacy companies like mine will embrace uh, dealing with issues involved with AI or do you see separation? Do you, see, do you think that the challenges are very separated and there will be two branches? How do you see as an interpreter? This is an interesting uh, question. I can say that from our perspective, we already taking AI in a sense of um, a good privacy practices in our company. I can give you a few examples. We use a lot of AI. We use machine learning. We use NLP and natural language processing. And uh, we created a lot of governance and mechanism to make sure that we build everything privacy by design. So for example, uh, we don't send data for tagging for uh, two external providers, which you know many companies are trying to tag data with other people that are uh, that can help them. So we do all the tagging in-house. We use synthetic data. We don't use real data. Right, because we don't want to, you know, get exposed to sensitive information. So this is just two examples that we are using. I think that in terms of your your general question, and it's already happening. I think that uh, in the coming years we would see some um, AI regulations, right? So same as privacy, and even now cybersecurity with NIST. You probably heard about that, which is like a new cybersecurity regulations about you know open source and third party vendors. So I think in the coming years, and there are already discussions going on about it, I think that we will see at least one or two AI regulations that would create a different, uh, that would level the playing field, the same as privacy, but would create some standards and some guidelines on how companies should think about AI. I'm an engineer by heart, so I think that AI, you know, can serve for many great ways and many great reasons, but I think that you know, we should think about it in a very ethical way. We need to use AI in, in a way that it can really serve other people. And through that, um, through serving other people, not hurting people, you know, in the process. Thank you, Gal. I think you're very uh, optimistic about AI uh, as an engineer. As a privacy person, I'm not so optimistic, but uh, we, we should agree to disagree here. It's okay to have a, a more... Uh, <laughs> pessimistic person too. Uh, thank you so much, Gal. I think it was very informative, very optimistic, as a good entrepreneur should be. Uh, so everyone, if you want to hear more from Gal, follow him on LinkedIn, on Twitter. And I think Gal has a message to everyone. So give, what do you want to say? Your, your, your last words to the audience, what would they be, Gal? Yeah, my last message, message is around uh, the key pillar for any privacy program, data mapping. Uh, I know that many companies are doing that the spreadsheet way, but uh, try to embrace technologies that can really help you automate that part. So your privacy program can be three steps ahead and very much accurated and, you know, less spending time on manual and uh, very repetitive tasks. So data mapping is the key.
Thank you so much, Gal, for coming, for joining the podcast. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you enjoy privacy content, subscribe to my newsletter, The Privacy Whisperer, at theprivacywhisperer.com. Thank you and see you soon.